We are joined by two very interesting guests. I welcome Amir Rivuni and our CEO Wesper and Sarah Chochi, Research Director at HitLab. It's hard getting all those words out, you know. <laughs> Amir, first of all, tell us your story. First of all, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, thanks so much for uh, inviting us and uh, setting all of no, We're uh, happy to have up. you. Um, so I grew up in Israel and uh, in a small village near Ashdod, uh, which is about 30, 40 minutes from Tel Aviv. A little bit unusual track where I actually, when I was 18, I went to uh, to college. Here it's it's common, but typically in Israel, when you're 18, you you join the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, I I did my studies before, and I did it in the Technion, which is the what's called like an Israeli Institute of Technology. I did a double major degree in electrical engineering and physics, and um, when I graduated, then I joined the army uh, for about seven years. Wow! Uh, yeah, I joined a very special unit. It's similar to the. NSA here, if we're allowed to say. Um, it's called 8200. Right. And it's an intelligence unit. And I was there um, on the technical, technological uh, side of things. Started as an engineer, then um, developed into a team lead and then a, almost like a project manager. Um, one of the most exciting and um, meaningful times of my life. I mean, working with amazing colleagues and in a very mission-driven environment. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and I think it taught me a lot, uh, you know, moving, sorry, moving forward. Um, so after I uh, finished my army service, about seven years, I wanted to experience how is it like to uh, study abroad and to live abroad for some time. And I chose uh, Tokyo. As, as Why the, did you choose Tokyo? Know. I mean, because it's such a different language. Yeah. It's such a different... Well, <laughs> Not only language. Yeah. There's also different culture. Culture, very and, different culture. Uh, yeah. Just out of interest, why did you choose Tokyo? Yeah. In many aspects, it's really opposite to what I used to and where I grew up in Israel. Right. In many aspects, when I lived there, I really, really felt it. Um, I think two main things led me. One is really professionally. I found a very interesting lab that was focusing on flexible electronics, which I perceive as kind of the next generation of electronic devices and, um, uh, and technology. Uh, and I was really fascinated by the capabilities of having very thin electronic devices that can conform to any shape and form. Wow. Um, so that was one. And second is really the culture. I mean, I, I traveled a lot in my 20s, and but I never lived in a place for some time and, and really experienced the culture and try to be part of, of a culture that I'm, I wasn't grew up in. Yeah. Um, so that, that was very exciting to me uh, to pursue my PhD there. Yeah, I'm just out of interest, you know, because languages is my business. Uh, from Hebrew to Ovid to, to um, Japanese, how did you cope with the with the language so that was pretty challenging i have to say i came i, I came to japan without knowing a word even not konichiwa um yes. when i when i landed there um it was funny in many cases it was almost like a survival issue like what right. what to buy in a grocery store and how to um to buy the things that you need 
Um, but I took classes like a couple of hours every every week, and uh, they teach you a lot of grammar right. in the beginning. And you know, just being there, interacting with people, talking, and getting out of your comfort zone. I think. Yeah. Well, I think that's that in itself is an amazing, exactly amazing, yeah. and getting out of your comfort zone. We'll talk about. Yeah, that's you know. that's the story of my life. I think. And then, so just swiftly, <laughs> swiftly moving on to where you are now. Um, so today I'm the CEO and, and co-founder at Whisper. Um, this is a health technology startup that basically takes sleep medicine to to the next level and sleep health to the next level. Uh, we are we've developed a, a platform that is FDA cleared by now and allows people to get diagnosed and and manage and and navigate their therapies uh, for sleep, uh, specifically people with chronic sleep disorders like sleep apnea. Right. Um, so with with a very easy to use tools that and devices that they can use at home with an app that we developed and, and a very comprehensive offering for the providers as well, we can really close the loop on very complex right. um, sleep So disorders. when you say providers, are you talking about the people who can't sleep or hospitals or? Providers, yeah, like clinicians, sleep physicians. Right. Uh, there is such things, uh, sleep physicians. Yeah, so it's not just one of those adverts that come up when you're on the phone that says, you know, you're sleeping, read this. And... Exactly. This is really the next level. So yeah. typically those type of tools help you to understand and that you have an issue. Um, right. But then getting to the root cause of it and what are the next steps and how to go about it, you need, in many cases, you need some guidance from a sleep expert, a sleep physician, and you need the right tools to make the right decisions. Okay, so that, that's very interesting. We're going to go over to Sarah. We can ask about her journey, but Sarah's expertise, I think, is actually helping companies check out what it is. But we'll, we'll learn about that a little bit more. Sarah, your journey. How did you, did you get here? Even though the lift wasn't working today, we're on the 16th floor. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, how did you get here today? Thanks, Larry. And great to be here with uh, both of you. Um, and you're right, Larry. That's exactly, you know, what I'm interested in is, uh, you know, the research that's out there and the methods that we use to figure out if these new types of solutions, these digital solutions are working. They're um, kind of the same and kind of different um, than what we're used to in healthcare. So, you know, how can we ensure that we're um, offering people, you know, things that work, offering clinician solutions that work, um, and that there's proof behind that. Um, but alas, you asked me about my journey. Um, yeah. So I'll start from the beginning. I'm, uh, I grew up in Ohio. And when I was 18, um, I wanted to go away to college, and I originally had planned to actually come to New York then. Uh, my sister was here. Uh, but last minute, uh, made a crazy decision to move down to Florida, where it was warm, and go to college <laughs> Not there. such a crazy decision, maybe. I wanted to, I, you know, I was a little bit burnt out, honestly, from high school, and I thought to myself, well, hey, if it doesn't work out at college, you know, the weather's nice. I had been on <laughs> vacation. Um, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, I went to a small school in Sarasota called New College of Florida, which um, was then and is still now part of the state system of Florida, actually, although many people haven't heard of it. Um, and it was fantastic. It was very um, entrepreneurial, actually, even though I wouldn't consider myself an entrepreneur at all. Um there were no grades. There were many opportunities to create your own courses, um, create your own course of study. Um, 
So it was very kind of formative in my. So, so what was the name? Let, let's give them a let's give them a plug. A what shout was the out. Uh, what, what's a shout out for them? New College, N E W, in Sarasota, Florida. Okay. Um, again, it's um, it was then and remains part of the state system right. of Florida. It's the Honors Undergraduate uh, College. Uh, it's only undergraduate, although they just started offering a data science master's. Okay, I hope you get some good yeah. commission on that. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, it's from the heart. Um, but anyway, so uh, I finished there with an amazing education, uh, but not really prepared for a career. Right. Um, and so I hung out for a year and thought to myself, okay, well, I'll go get a master's degree. Um, and I'd always been interested in healthcare, um, just from some experiences, you know, in my family as a kid. So I decided to do a master's in public health. And I uh, went to the University of South Florida uh, because it was in state and it was the only public health school in Florida at the time. And I was on my own, so it was inexpensive. Um and I was going to stay there, but I happened to hear about this program at Columbia. Um, at, it's not so unique at the time, but at the time, um, it was very unique. They have a department uh, in the School of Public Health called Sociomedical Sciences. Right. Um, it's essentially a combination of the different social sciences and public health. And uh, coming from sociology, which was, um, you know, still very interesting to me, and uh kind of where my educational roots were, it, I, you know, again, sort of decided to take a shot and I got in and moved to New York. So that was, uh, that was in 2000. So choosing public health. I mean, uh-huh. that, that obviously was effect, you were affected by something that happened, you know, uh, in your family. Can you share that with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, when I was a kid, there was sort of a lot going on, a lot of interactions with the healthcare system. Um, but frankly, that's kind of always what's driven me. Um, you know, I was from from where I left you. You know, I you know, I finished my doctor of public health at Columbia and went on to do a postdoc in actually psychiatric epidemiology and mental health services. And I got I had just gotten married and got pregnant. And my son, who's now 16 and six feet tall and very healthy, um, was born out of nowhere two months early and spent two months in the NICU. Um, And it was really that experience of being there with him in the hospital for two months and watching the nurses and watching the clinicians um, that really kind of shifted my course. Um, And I moved over to this world of care delivery more generally um, and, frankly, digital healthcare delivery. Um, so that's interesting yeah. how, how it shaped you and how you... you it really you, did. It, it yeah. um, brought... Yeah, I'd always been interested in healthcare, but much... Again, I was in academia, so much more from, a, you know, Academ- let's measure quality, how, you know, how do we measure, um, yes, from a very academic uh, perspective. And that really showed me sort of what healthcare is like for the first time, boots on the ground, um, and really made me passionate about um, patient-centered care, which was a very early movement. This was in early 2000s. Um, it's much more well-developed now, but also um, the experience of clinicians. So, so one of the reasons why, why we invited you here today was you've got this great reputation. You were recommended by Cornell to, to come. And one of the, the parts that we will be discussing discussing is regulatory um, issues, which 
the word doesn't sort of evolve like every, please don't turn off this podcast because it's really interesting. It doesn't really, you know, create a sort of a feeling of excitement. We're going to hear about it. But I think really we are going to hear about it and hear about how important it is and especially important to startups to respect this subject, even if you don't get terribly excited about it. Um, so we're going to go back to Amir. Amir, one of the things in my research that I did was that I found out that your business, which is called Wesper, in actual fact was called Touch. So here I am trying to consider that trying to have a startup, and you did work in it. How long was Touch Touch for? Um, I think about three years. Right. So three years of a Touch name. And you suddenly changed to Wesper. That must be, you must have spent a lot of money, not just the money on promoting it, but actually talking touch. Now you're talking Wesper. Right. Why did you Wesper and why did you change? And, and seriously, the other question is, surely it costs you a lot of money doing that. What's the story there? <laughs> um, you're right. It was definitely um, a difficult process and, and it was actually not something that we did Voluntarily, I would say it was almost like forced on us. Oh wow! Um, that sounds interesting. Who forced you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so th- there is, uh, you know, really three three years in. Um, you know, Tash, we're really connected with the name. We really like how it sounds. We got a domain, everything. We actually trademarked it as well because we really liked it, um, and really around three years after we. Uh, we started, we started getting, um, letters from uh, like a huge corporate, uh, uh entity. You didn't name names, name shame names or what? Or um, you don't have to. I don't want to, I don't want to be sued because you've appeared on the <laughs> yeah. podcast today. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> but surely I don't, you know, want to be, you know, Overtly critical, but surely checked out that touch was a name you could use. Did you not do that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we checked and we did again. We actually we trademarked it, so it was trademarked and um, and we did all the legal work that is related to that. Um, but when when they came and they had a sub brand named Tacha, which is yeah. difficult, um, which again resembles. I mean, I, I have to admit, but it's completely unrelated to what we're doing. And, right. and obviously, there are trademarks that sound the same, but if they are not competing in the same domain, it's it's totally fine. Okay. Um, so they came up with this and um, you know, start sending us letters and uh, and uh, notification that we have to change and and we are infringing their domain, etc. Which again, not not really the case. I mean, uh, if you look it up, Tasha is doing um, things related to beauty care, etc. Not necessarily sleep, yeah. but they were very aggressive about this uh, this thing and and actually filed. Um, suit against us um, right. or we're about to file and uh, <coughs> at that point we just realized that it's it's almost like a lost cause like fighting this at, at this early so how, stage how did you cope with that you 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 given birth to a little touch you know and, and little touch is growing up now and some big bully comes along and says, you know, my little boy is called Tatcha right. <laughs> and you can't have your boy as Tatch Right. How did you cope with that 
that how did you cope? It sounds like you were very pragmatic in actual fact. Were you that pragmatic? Are you that cool? Yeah, I mean, it's at first it was it was really hard, as you said. Like it's really, you know, it, we gave it birth, <laughs> like yes. the the name, and we like a, a brainchild of of us ours, and um, it was hard to give up, and, and we liked the name so, and 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 we really didn't find a reason why to do it because it, it's really not competing in any way. Um, so, so I suppose you've got to be given credit for the fact that you could have given up because, I mean, when you've been attacked like that, you could have given up or you could have spent your life savings. Right. And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to take a, a view. And it's funny because there are other similar stories like that where it's just finished somebody off because they're just so angry because it because it's in, it's not just exactly so, exactly good on you for doing it but why why whisper is that, I thought you know is that... um, yeah so after realizing that you know it's better to be in in Hebrew we have a saying it's better to be smart than just in that regard like be be more pragmatic and and uh, take the right actions and um, so we decided okay so we'll change it. And we went um, through different variations of names that we liked. Uh, we went, you know, like dozens of, of names. And really like Wesper, a uh, couple of reasons. One, it's a combination of Vesper, which is a kind of night prayer, and Whisper, which is which really resonates with what we do. We measure respiration uh, and sleep. Um, so it really connects with, with everything that we're working on. And, um, you know, we really like... The fact that you know how it rolls on the tongue and uh, and uh, the sound of it and generally I like to uh, come up with names and and basically create create their uh, a content uh, or a brand um, around them uh, kind of a made up term and and bring it to the world. Okay, so that that's that's a very interesting story. And again, I have to say, it's so hard when you put your heart and soul into it. all your money, your life savings, borrowed money, raised money, and somebody comes along. Yeah. But again, I think people have got to think about when you're going to fight that, whether that's going to be worthwhile. And, and actually, it's funny, majority of people fight it on the principle, but then lose mostly. I think mm-hmm. it was, it, it was, it was very good. Um, I mean, what's the most difficult part of your, your journey apart from the, uh, name, the name thing? What, what, you know, the reason why I asked that is because the people who are listening and watching are interesting. And uh, it's a two part question. What, what's been the most difficult part and how have you managed that, those difficult yeah. times? I think that one thing that people may not realize coming into a, a startup experience or, or starting uh, a new venture, it, it's a very lonely process. Um, yeah. You need to make many decisions right at the beginning uh, and you don't know what's the right path. Uh, it's really, there's no recipe to how to start a startup. There are some guidelines and, you know, uh, books and, and you can get educated. Uh, so did you read really, books? I mean, what? Yeah, we read books. We actually went, I went through a program at Cornell Tech right. uh, called The Runway. Yes, yes. And they really help you with, you know, education and understanding, uh, um, how, how this works. Um, so I think I was, I was lucky enough to very early on, you know, be part of this ecosystem uh, right. okay, in New York. Great. 
and also surrounding myself with the right people. I think that's another another important thing. Uh, you, you mentioned how I cope with it, so that's that's a big piece yeah, so, of it. So we'll come on to who you've surrounded yourself, because again, that's another key area that people succeed or fail over about surrounding themselves with the right people, and in actual fact, changing the, those people as the, it evolves. But that's that's for later on in, in our conversation t- today. So. What are the main drivers? I want to know the main drivers, the money, the fame, the science, the fact that you don't know what you'd do if you didn't do it. You know, what was your main drive? What's the thing that last time I, I interviewed somebody and they said, cause I've got an itch, an itch all the time. <laughs> so have you got an itch? Um, I think in some respect, yes, it's, it's definitely something that burns within yeah. you. Like we want to, you want to, you want to do it. And I'm, I'm a very curious person and I like right. to investigate and, and understand better, uh, things. But I think that the main things that drives me is, is creating an impact on people's life and, um, and industries. Um, so really make things in a proper way. I think that's something that I'm, I'm always, again, since my days in the army, um, that is really mission driven, how we can help national security, et cetera. Um, so that was one. And I think this is actually evolved and, and grew even more as I learned more about the field. So, um, at the beginning it was really a curiosity and just, you know, it, it, when I looked at, at the problem, sleep, diagnostic, management, it, it didn't seem right. It was almost painful for me as, as an right. engineer with everything I know to understand that this is what you need to go through in order to diagnose and manage and, and get treated for sleep disorders. And then so, I, so can I just come in there? Because I did mention earlier about all these adverts that come up, and I don't know why they obviously are listening into my not snoring at night because I keep <laughs> offering remedies. And... The, the question we're going to we're going to get um, Asara is is this word which, as I say, is, I don't I wasn't so excited that when we decided that this word was a really important topic of today's podcast, and that word is regulatory, and it's uh, uh, and it's a thought. Oh my goodness, that's going to be real fun talking about <laughs> regulatory and how important that is. Tell us about regulatory and t- help our listeners. Uh, understand why it is so important and so exciting and why it would um, affect, you know, um, people's businesses, you know, uh, moving forward. So, exciters. I will make, um, <laughs> yeah, I will make regulatory fun. Um, I will say I have a new colleague I met with in the past year and she um, has worked a lot in patents over the years and she's one of the most interesting, fun people that I've worked with. So um, I'm also, you know, <laughs> discovering how interesting these, um, you know, pieces of the field can be. Honestly, for me, I mean, my interaction with um, regulatory comes in when I'm working with a startup and we want to put together uh, a research project. And the first question that I always ask is, well, what research have you done and what research are you going to need to do? And you need to understand regulatory to some degree to make that plan. Um, you know, I think so. I, I, I can, I think it's interesting because it's sort of like a, um, a really pivotal piece that you need to 
to work around. So it's, you know, it's strategy and it's evidence, really. You know, regulatory is there because the FDA wants evidence. They want you to be able to uh, show that the claims you're making are true. And that's all it is at the end of the day. Um, and I, I think the other piece that's interesting specifically in digital health um, right now is that this is all pretty new. So the regulations are pretty new and ever-evolving. You know, now that we see, for example, artificial intelligence and machine learning being put into um, new solutions or even sort of existing potentially as standalone solutions in and of themselves, you know, the FDA doesn't or hasn't really been doing that. Um, and now they're trying, but hasn't been for very long. So um, it's, you know, as entrepreneurs and creative, very innovative people are coming up with all kinds of great stuff to solve, you know, really important, um, tenacious problems. Uh, you know, regulatory is just trying to understand what's going on and keep up and, and, and you know, keep us safe. So it is actually pretty interesting, even though I could imagine as an entrepreneur and even oftentimes as a researcher, you know, it, it can kind of like slow things down. I think that's the key is you need to understand it to be able to kind of keep keep pace. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to you in a minute with, the, with your regulatory. So, so uh, one of the things that I, I heard about, what's the difference between FDA approval and FDA clearance? So is FDA clearance after you had approval or, or what, what, what are those? Just probably it's a very simple answer, but. Well, probably actually not. A oh, really simple answer. <laughs> well, I'm gonna it give, makes my question better. Then. <laughs> I will give you a very simple answer, okay. and then I'll probably turn it to Amir, who, because he's been in the weeds with it for many years, oh, yeah. Let's put him might, have a, yeah. <laughs> might have a, a good response. But you know, there are um, there are experts out there too, and I I think if you uh, you know think about your evidence, if you think about your research, and hone down your your questions, then it's worth you know, the not that much money it will take to really consult an expert. So that's my disclaimer. You know, I'm no FDA expert, but my understanding is that at least in digital health, um, very few solutions actually go through the process of FDA approval um, and actually need formal FDA approval. And that most solutions are either exempt because they're... Um, more wellness focused um, and aren't, uh, for example, being used by doctors, by clinicians. Um, and those that are uh, go through this process of clearance, which is essentially saying, um, you know, I have a solution that does something much like a solution that already exists and is already on the market. And therefore, um, you know, I'm giving you everything you need. Check mark, you know, we're cleared. Um, after you know, yeah, um, sounds sounds easy. sounds sounds easy, right? <laughs> so, Amir, maybe you wanna yeah. tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah. So, so first, just to give more core about regulatory and also why we chose. But I think things that are regulated, especially on. You, in sorry, health, just to come back. You said you chose to have regulatory. Yeah, we are FDA cleared Clear. at this point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's a relief. I should have checked it out. And, <laughs> and things that are in health, uh, especially things that are regulated, are things that have a big impact on people's life. You know, it's it's all about safety and effectiveness. And of, trust. 
<laughs> of of therapies, of diagnostic tools, etc. So when when you think about why regulatory is important, when you are regulated, you're already in, in an environment or in a class of devices and, and therapies that are that have more impact on people's life. And I think that's one of the things that we want to achieve in Whisper. Specifically um, to the question regarding clearance and, and approval. So much like Sarah just mentioned, um, clearance is, is typically when um, you are bringing to the market a device um, that has a predicate that exists and was cleared by the FDA. And you need to show the, that you are as safe and as effective as the existing solution that was already cleared. Right. Um, so it sounds like an, an easy thing to do, but you need to go through a very rigorous process of certifications and studies and uh, efficacy studies to, to actually show that it's as safe and as effective. And approval is typically for things that are either more invasive or, or, um, um, maybe dangerous in a way that you need, um, a pre-market, uh, approval. Um, you know, drugs, for example, are yeah. typically in this category, uh, that you need to go through kind of a, a new, a new, uh, approval process. Uh, so you've them. got clearance. Clearance. Yeah. This is typically, you know, all the devices and uh, that are in our category are cleared. Um, right. So any home sleep test, diagnostic, or even a, a diagnostic test in in a sleep lab are cleared devices and not approved. Oh, can I can I ask you when you've been raising money, has um, the, the this this subject regulatory uh, clearance has that come up or has it ever been asked or considered? How again for the people outside there who you know, are trying to move forward with with more complex offerings like yours? You know, what what's the situation? Are, are they savvy enough people who are investing, you know, to ask the right questions or just hope they don't or what? So, so first of all, I mean, from from the beginning, we, we wanted to go after this uh, clearance or approval or regulatory stamp by the FDA because we wanted, we... we realize the gap in the market right now that is not just tracking your sleep in our case and and flagging things that are of an issue can be an issue but really understanding what is the root cause diagnose the problem and prescribe the right therapies so we're really taking an angle that is more medical in nature and clinical um that can really help those people that don't have the the ability to do it uh, today and you know i think everyone under especially first-time founders and also investors that are new to this category underestimate the burden that it takes to yeah. get to me so the the process itself sound okay the, the fda has only 90 days to review your application end to end and they have like a, a clock that when they send you back the um, like with question, they stop the clock. You have time to respond. You have about 180 days to respond. So it's oh, it's, a, it's a relatively short process. Right. Only 90 days. It's not not a big deal, and we can right. do it very quickly. We can yes, oh, yes. we see the response and then we we answer. So it can be probably three to six or nine months. But the the truth is that you just in order to submit to the FDA, you need to 
go through very rigorous uh, processes, uh, certification and testing and and bench testing, clinical testing, etc., uh, to just be able to submit and and have uh, and have the right checklist. So when we're talking about this whole list of tasks to do, how are you doing it? I mean, what's your team? I mean, how big is your team? Um, what, you know, what do they do? Who's your team? Or is it just you or, or yeah, what? Yeah, today today we're a little bit, we're 23 people. 23 uh, people. Yeah, but when we started, um, even in, interacting with the FDA, doing pre-submission, we were like four or five, I think, at the time. Right. And we hired a consultant uh, to help us navigating the, um, right. um, the field. And it's hard because yeah. it's it's really you know the technology, you know the use case, and it's really hard to find the right person that is also has the expertise um, on the regulatory side, but also can understand what you're trying to do yeah. and how you try to uh, to bring uh, this device to market. So we actually switch like multiple consultants and you will find the, the right ones for us. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And, and one of the things when we talk to a lot of other people, why they've actually not succeeded is because they get very disheartened. You, you've already indicated that you may have changed some of the people. And one of the things, startups, people who are startup people are passionate and they get very disappointed when people aren't delivering. And, and, and therefore that, that I would say that's one of the root causes for not working out. That they that they take people on. They're disappointed. They spent money on them. Either recruiting them or paying their salaries. How have you coped? Because obviously you have changed people. So any suggestions or experiences that people who are watching and listening can can gain from you? I can share a little bit about, about my experience and then maybe some lessons. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely got very disappointed in, in some instances, like. It really took a toll on yes. me, like to see things are not working and people are not either performing or not doing things like in a proper way. Um, this thing I actually learned to, to take much easier over the years. Um, so not taking, not take it to my heart yes. and, and take it really, really personally, but you know, do what, what it takes to close it out and move forward as quickly as possible. Right. Um, the more you, you know, in it and in easy, this, this easier said than done, isn't it? Because it's an emotional, yeah. you know, you, you're passionate about your science or passionate about your product or service. And then suddenly you've got to have a horrible conversation, which, you know, people generally aren't, don't, nobody likes it. But so I think it's really coming to terms with that this will happen if you're out there listening and if you're feeling not good about some of your team, I think, you know, what we're hearing today is really, really have to face it and deal with it, painful as it may be on that side. And it is painful, isn't it? So definitely being passionate is, is a big part of it, but also you need to remember that as a startup, you're in a constant mode of survival. So everything that you're you've done with this person or consultant or or path and it didn't work out you know this takes off your you know the the, the month that you have uh to uh to get to the next milestone and 
getting this is why the realization of this as quickly as possible and deal with this and move forward as quickly as possible are critical which is very easier said than, <laughs> than done <laughs> but let, let's talk about money let's talk about i know, I know we're british i'm british so we don't normally like talking about that but we're in america so we can't um so so here you are you've got this phd you've gone to japan my goodness if you were in the market sort of you know last couple of years what do you think your your salary could be <laughs> it's an interesting question because i i've never been in the public uh market no, <laughs> to you must know people to, but yeah i think the way i like at colleagues uh, the same type of experience probably you know four or five hundred thousand okay so how many years have you been doing this this business Uh, including the postdoc and everything, like nearly six years. So six years. Let's go for the 400. We'll be, we'll be modest. So six, that's six fours of 24. That's $2.4 million. That is six years of having no paid holiday. That's six years of having, if you've got healthcare, paying yourself and not having any. Uh, so we're talking about three and a half million dollars that you've blown out the window. <laughs> You're not blown out the window. I should say invested. Yeah. Is it worth it? And all the aggravation and your poor wife that must be suffering. <laughs> no, I'm kidding on that side. But is it? I mean, it's a huge cost that you've invested. Yes. Um, I think for me, it's worth it every, every day of this journey. I, I learn a lot about myself, about, you know, the company that we're building. And you mentioned my wife. I'm lucky enough to have the, the support um, uh, with the family and, and everything to, to do what I'm passionate about and what you know, can really change. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Right. Okay. That, that, that's really, really, you know, interesting. It's not all about money. <laughs> Now, you said it's not all about money. But, and you're absolutely right, but it is all about money to survive, isn't it? Uh, you know, tell us about raising money, your experience of raising money and what that feels like. And again, any tips? I mean, we're, we're here to hear the stories, but we're also here to pass on this information. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never an easy process to raise money. Um, it's... Um... You know, it's a, it's a long and tedious, uh, process. We started, I started, you know, with, with basically an idea, a proof of concept, um, for the technology and really understanding the problem. I spoke with, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people who suffer from sleep disorders and, and physicians and lab technicians. And it gave me the confidence to, to understand that. There's a big market. At one point, I spoke with the doctor and told them, I think we can build it this way. And they looked at me like this. Can you really do it? And I said, yeah, I think we can. And I, I took this sentiment and, you know, started talking with, at first it was angel investors. Um, I went to, you know, panels and, and, um, podcasts to, uh, um, you listen to podcasts to <laughs> before <laughs> to, you were a star of a podcast yeah. <laughs> okay. to tell, no, but that, uh, that's a good thing. You know, I mean, we talk, we used to talk about reading books and doing courses, but there is a huge amount of uh, information on, you know, in, on the podcast. Yes. So, yeah. and, and, you, good. <laughs> and you need to get out of the building and really try to, to, uh, uh, to talk with people, tell the story. And we were lucky enough to get the first check 
um, relatively early to build the first prototype. We got a few more checks from angel investors and small VCs. And uh, at some point we had enough evidence and enough uh, traction to raise our seed round, uh, the formal seed round. We got an amazing uh, partner, uh, VC, that led the deal, uh, Spark Capital. Uh, Sorry, which capital? Let's give them a shout out. Yeah, Spark Capital. Spark? Spark. Spark Capital. Okay. Really awesome uh, VC uh, firm and and partners to to work with. And, um, you know, it, it gives us the the ability to to go through the regulatory process to launch the first product to to try to get some feedback from the market um and then once we had this we we could raise our series a which we Great. just closed so go on Pastor. so people listening at home Sarah, thinking oh grown regulatory and oh you know i'm really now worried i wish i'd never listened to this podcast because they're making me feel very nervous about this you know, regulatory stuff. You know, so what do they do? They're, they're at home now. They've been working very, very hard on, you know, their, their product or, or whatever. What should they do? What should they do tomorrow morning when they wake up to sort of investigate about what they need? Because, you know, can you guide them? Can you help us? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, uh, it sounds boring, but the FDA website's not bad as a place to start. Um, if you have no idea sort of what's going on. Um, and uh, Sorry, the webs, can you repeat? FDA, the FDA has a website. And the specifically, FDA website. and they have a new, um, I think it's called the Center for Digital Health Excellence. Um, just started up maybe a couple of years ago. They've got some resources on there. You know, potentially you f- sort of find yourself in a clear cut, like, oh, we're definitely in this category. And you can start to sort of figure out what that, means. Um, uh, You know, if it's more complicated than that, then, you know, talk to some friends in the field who've gone through this, other founders, um, and talk through, um, you know, kind of just to sort of make sure you're understanding where you where you think you fit. Um, You can also make a decision at that point too to change what you do. um, If you're not, if you really want to avoid at all costs. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on who you are, how much money you have, um, how far along are you? Um, and then con- I contact the FDA. I've heard that, you know, you reach out, you get your person and you can start to sort of have conversations to figure out, um, what, you know, what you need to do. I mean, that, that's Billings advice, reaching out to them, going on the website, talking to them and trying to find other people and asking their opinions. So, I, let's hope that we've reduced some of the sort of mystique and fear of that. That that has been very, very helpful. And finally, to put you on the spot, every single podcast we are doing, we are asking you um, why you're irresistible. And I will remind you and any of our listeners and uh, viewers that irresistible in the English dictionary means too tempting and too attractive to resist. So, Sarah... In your role, in your job, <laughs> what is irresistible about your role, your job? Uh, you know, I'll say that I've been fortunate uh, to, in my current role and kind of leading up to it, to have worked in so many different settings. I've worked in like an academic medical center. I've worked in academia. You know, I've um, 
worked at an innovation lab and and now I, you know, consult independently. I work a, a lot with startups and I know a little bit about a lot of a very little bit but about a lot of things and I understand a lot of the needs from a lot of different perspectives. So, um, you know, I think I'm really good in a room of a bunch of different people who uh, come from a lot of different places. And well, well, I'm that, a bringer together. Well, that sounds irresistible. And we will put it in our newsletter, what you've just said, <laughs> or some of it. Now then, I mean, I haven't slept so well, so I'm hoping I'm going to have sort of <laughs> some free stuff. But what is irresistible? What's too tempting and too attractive um, with Westboro? What, 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 what tell us? Irresistible. I think that, you know, sleep is such an important part of our life. Uh, you know, there, you hear everywhere that you sleep one third about in, uh, of your life. And it, it's really connected to every piece of your health and well-being and quality of life. Uh, but many people just, you know, keep suffering and, and, uh, and sleeping uh, poorly. And Wesper actually bringing something that's really easy to use and and uh, reduces all the barriers to get diagnosed, understand what you have, and take action. Uh, and I think you know it's it's really a no brainer at this point mm-hmm. to get a diagnosis done, get the right advice, and and take care of yourself. Because it and could I be life changing. It can be life changing, and I think okay, it's so, it's a something, good message. Yeah, to I think life changing is mm-hmm. uh, pretty irresistible. <laughs> I think you've both been irresistible guests, and uh, look forward to talking to you again, and we'll catch up again in the future. And everybody else, I hope you have an irresistible day, and thank you all for joining us. And again, some of the information that's just been given in the last few moments, we will put on our newsletter, which you will be able to find online. And I look forward to seeing you at our next Irresistible Podcast for Startups. This is Larry Gould saying goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to The Irresistible Entrepreneur. We hope you've enjoyed hearing from our fantastic guests and found our conversation thought-provoking. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to like, rate, comment, subscribe and follow us on social media at The Irresistible Entrepreneur. For more on me, Larry J. Gould, or for a consultation from our wonderful business experts, find us on our website at www.irresistible-company.com. And if you haven't already, please be sure to sign up for our newsletter to get updates on the podcast. Thanks for listening and always strive to be irresistible.